All right. Well, I tell you what, I, uh, I am just really excited. I'm so excited. My cortisol level's raising up, and I can't even, I forgot how to tie my tie. I called my brother Logan, and I uh, was talking with him, and uh, he said, what, what are you calling the message? I, I forgot what that was. I just totally forget. You know, your blood gets rushing, your cortisol, you get all excited, and you just forget everything. So I, I have no idea how this is going to work out tonight. But I, I, I do know this. I have prayed and put my faith and trust in God to ask him to lead and guide me through this. Uh, and I know one thing. What am I so excited about? Why is my cortisol level raising? Because God's redemptive history, his plan is right on course. He's never late. He's three days late. He's right on time. God is sovereign. He's in charge and his redemptive purpose. And when we read his scripture and it comes to life in us and we know that his redemptive plan for our salvation, the death, burial, and resurrection is true, it just gets us so excited inside. And and I hope each and every one of you at this point in your life as Christians have gotten to that verse where God has opened your mind. Because we can read it all day long, but until God opens your mind, And that's the exciting part about it. Then we begin to hunger and thirst for his word. And I hope your cortisol level doesn't go so high you forget everything you're going to say. Uh, So I just want to invite everybody and thank them for coming and tuning in to being here uh, for our our Sunday night service at uh, New Harvest Ministries NEO. And I invite you, we're at 591 Ferndale Avenue in Vermilion, Ohio. And we should never forsake the gathering of the saints. The, the, the early apostles, they did not forsake it. They gathered together. We take communion, the Lord's Supper together. We do baptism together. We, we share God's word together. We build each other up. We strengthen each other. We sing. We pray together. We cannot break that or forsake that, whether if it's a, a, a flu, a virus, a war, whatever it may be, we should never forsake the gathering of the saints. We also broadcast online for those who may receive it, uh, if you're not able to come. But we, we, we do invite you continually. I'd like to start with a prayer. And I, I've been taking my prayers right from Scripture sometimes, and I do pray continually with all prayers and supplications to the Lord to give me strength and courage and, and give me the words to say. Uh, ask for repentance. I don't know why sometimes that I'm in the position where I'm at, but I continue asking prayer. But then I like going to Scripture and say, what does God say? How did Paul pray? And I'd like to start with this prayer for myself right now. If I could be so selfish to myself and say this prayer to myself from Scripture to help me to proceed. And I pray to my sovereign God, my, full of grace and truth and mercy, I, I, I cry out to you that your words have been written before me. I pray them back to you, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayers and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the the gospel for which I am an ambassador in Christ, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And prayer is a part of my message tonight, even in the context we are in Acts. And I I pray that the message is that God may open your mind, but we're still in a complete overview of Acts. I don't even think I've really gotten in, into it. It's, it's the third week, and we're still going to be going over the first chapter versus the whole first chapter I'm, I'm grabbing text from, 
and going throughout the book. Uh, and in a part of that, when I put my list together of things that when I started to prepare my message, one of the things was prayer. And so I start off by praying. And a, 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 the one thing about prayer is, uh, we should, how do you pray? Do, are you yarping or are you praying? You know, and there, there's an acronym for that. And it's always stuck with me. See, because the proper way to pray, of course, we have the Lord's Prayer that teaches us how to pray. But here's, here's an acronym for it. We should always praise, repent, asking for others, yourself. Oftentimes we find people, the first thing they begin to pray for is yourself. Then they ask for others, then they repent, and then they give praise to God. I started my prayer off this evening with declaring and thanking my God for his grace and his mercy, first off and foremost. His reverence, his awe. Thou art thy Father who's in heaven. We always look to him in, in reverence and awe with God when we start our prayers. And because we're in the book of, we're in the book of Acts, here's another acronym for you. First, Acts, A-C-T-S. We should always... Adoration, C, confession, T, thanksgiving, S, supplication, for our, our, for, to supply our needs. Just some acronyms about prayer. Now, I'd like to pray for us before we get started. We can gather together, and I, and I am using an, another prayer from Scripture. And I pray this out of Matthew. Our gracious, most merciful God. Our Lord and our God, we ask that by the Spirit, you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. Teach us the truth. Correct our hearts. Draw us to Christ. All things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in the book of Acts this evening. You can open your... Bibles up, you have the God's Word with you. As I said, I started, uh, when I started to prepare for my message two weeks ago, I just go through this entire process. And in the last days, it just, I, my eyes were opened up, and I'm, I'm just so excited about that. But as I prepare for my message, I pull out of the text, out of the first chapter, I pray in there, praying, fellowship, witnessing, drawing of lots, actually. Uh, all in one accord, all with one accord they met. The word of God proclaimed. All these things, we could have went and did a message on each one of them individually and spent all kinds of time on it. My mind ponders over these things. And then it comes down to these apostles. There was Peter, John, and James. Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, the Zealot, Judas, not Iscariot, but Judas, the son of James, the 11 apostles. They were missing one, Judas. And they were brought up, and I, I was doing a job, and, and Ruth, a beautiful woman, she says, I says, I got to memorize these names, because they're my brothers. I mean, it's just, we should know our brothers' names. And she says, John, there's a song I learned in fifth grade. It's all a positive. It's this kid's song, and it's wonderful. I listened to it a couple times just to calm my heart. We, we could do a message on that. But there was the main three, Peter, John, and James, that 
uh, in the Mount of Transfiguration. And when Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, he asked them, led them on and asked them to stay in prayer. There's these main three. And then I start thinking about God is love to me, Jesus is forgiveness, and the Holy Spirit is fellowship, communion with. And I start thinking about these three apostles. I think of John as the love apostle. I think of Peter as the one that denied Christ three times, who was lacking faith, but has his forgiveness. And I, th I think of the fellowship of James, the brother of Jesus, who they had fellowship with. And I could probably do a message on that. But I, I think each one of them could individually do all parts of it. But this is just maybe worldly philosophy coming into it. Worldly philosophy that man's wisdom and knowledge is always seeking for his own knowledge and his own wisdom. But without the lens of God's eyes, it is completely worthless. Why does God can take somebody that doesn't know his ABCs, who dropped out of school, to give a profound message to the wisest people? Do you really think that God just wanted to send the brightest people with the highest IQ to expound on his word and we should trust and put our faith in them and listen to them? I'm very thankful and very blessed that God has sent some very wonderful minds. Luther, Calvin, my, my brother John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, Logan Ramsey, they have a high IQ. They can expand on God's Word. They can expound on it. And that gives, that gives people that may not have be able to have that highest education, but be able to gather some knowledge from that. But it's amazing when God will open up your mind at simply reading the Scripture, what, what God can do to the weak. I look at His disciples I look at all of them before the, before the death, burial, and resurrection. Ye of so little faith. The parable of the mustard seed. Uh, doubting. Continually. There's Peter speaking. God, he says, where did you get that? He says, that could only come from above. Peter says it. Then, then Jesus goes in and tells him how he's going to be killed, carried off and killed. He says, no, that's not going to happen. Because they didn't understand the Old Testament. And he's told Peter to get behind me, Satan. How do, these, how do these disciples go from so lack of knowledge, so lack of faith, to what we're going to see tonight? And in that three, main three, then there had to be 12. We had to call Judas into it. So this is like groups of three. And I started in the book of Acts saying, well, if I was going to have a church or if I was going to build a church and I'm with my brother Logan, how should we do it? And uh, let's go to the book of Acts. Let's see what we can draw from the text to teach us how a church should operate. Not by philosophy, not by worldly studies, not by man's wisdom, but through the lens of God's eyes. And let's pray that to God to open the eyes of our hearts for we can understand. Pray that we can be the spiritual leaders for our family. So with all them things, I was just, I went on and on all, all week long with that. But that's not what, uh, that's not what the message is going to be about. Uh, I take it everybody has their Bible with them. I'm going to go, and I have my new uh, legacy Bible. As an overview again, 
of Acts, looking at Luke, the Dr. Luke, who's a Gentile. The sweeping knowledge that we grasp from the book of Luke all the way through Acts, all the way to this current day is still going on. Big part of New Testament. So just going back to say, I've already alluded to some of it about the apostles. Their lack of faith, their lack of understanding. Why was this? Why were these things? What was so difficult? Let's go to God's word and try to get a deeper understanding. Luke, chapter 18, verse 31. But when he took the twelve aside, he said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be completed. For he will be delivered over to the... That magnet's really holding on. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have flogged him, they will kill him. And the third day he will rise again. But the disciples understood none of these things. And this statement was hidden from them. And they did not comprehend the things that God, that Jesus, were said. They didn't comprehend these things. Here they, 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 they had a, a knowledge of the Old Testament. They had a knowledge of the Messiah coming. But through man's philosophy and worldly things that evolved that into an apostate type of religion... They weren't, these things weren't revealed or showed to them. Because they believed this was Jesus. When the one brother said to the other, the Messiah has come. But they had the wrong account of what was going to happen, what was going to take place. Then we find, let's continue on. Let's go to Luke. I'm going to go to Luke chapter 9, we're going to back up further, but chapter 9. And he says, but, but while everyone was marveling at all that he was doing, he said, he said to his disciples, put these words into your ears, for the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this statement, and it was concealed from them so that they would not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this statement. And there's just one more verse that I have to just bring up. It's a rabbit hole we'll chase later. Verse 46. Now an, now an argument started among them as to which one of them might be the greatest. You get that? The selfishness of which one of them is going to be the greatest? What part of this kingdom am I going to get? 
Yeah, we're following the Messiah. He's come. He's come to reign. He's going to be reign and be victorious. He's going to take over. He's going to divide up the kingdoms. You see their thought process? We've been chosen. Which part, which territory am I going to get? No clue to God's redemptive plan in history. They were completely clueless. And thinking about themselves, as we all do, Now, what happens? What changes? Still in Luke, the first volume. We're in Acts, the second volume, but this is still the first volume. And this is the transitioning that we're going to transition in the book. So, what, what goes on now? Well, it starts to come to light to, to me now. I, I, start getting, I, I begin to get a deeper understanding of this. On the road to Emmaus, Chapter 24 of Luke, verse 13. Let's read through this together. And think about these two men's disciples. They weren't uh, Jesus' direct apostles, but they were disciples of his. Now, you have to remember, at this point, Jesus has been crucified. His death, his burial, and his resurrection has happened. And these two men are walking down the road, and they're just kibitzing amongst each other, and we believe them to be disciples because they knew Mary Magdalene. They knew, they knew Jesus' mom. And they're walking down the road and they're talking. And that's, that's where this scene takes place. And behold, two of them were going that same day to the village named Emmaus, which was 60, started from Jerusalem. And they were conversing with each other about all things which had happened. And it happened that while they were conversing and debating, Jesus himself approached and was going with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are discussing with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking and said, And one of them, named Colopus, answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was the mighty prophet, indeed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us astonished us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and not finding his body they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the woman also said but him but him they did not see and he said to them "O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. 
Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? See, all the prophets had spoken these things previous. It was all written. Do you not read your Bibles? Oh, foolish ones. All what the prophets have said. God's redemptive plan, God's redemptive history is right on time. It's taken place before our very eyes, as it was then, as it is now. He had to suffer these things and enter into his glory. Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things concerning himself in all scriptures. Do you hear what just happened here? He, Jesus himself, now begins to, he interpreted to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures, beginning from Moses. So I asked myself, I asked myself about these apostles. I said, what was their enthusiasm? What was, it, what was their change? Was it seeing the death, burial, and resurrection? Was it the promise of the Holy Spirit? Is that what changed them? Yeah, them things could have definitely influenced them. But I believe there's one thing more than anything that really got them ignited, that really got them excited. They could now begin to understand the Old Testament. They can now totally understand the prophets. Not how some man had explained it to them or told them. Jesus himself explained the Old Testament to them. He opened their minds. When we pray, when we start a, a message, generally I pray that God will give you a heart to know, eyes to see, and ears to hear. It takes God. We pray for that. We study, we read our word, we try to expound on it accurately. But all that doesn't matter. God has to open our minds. And in God's time, with his redemptive history at this point in time, he chose to do that. Because there had to be a death. There had to be a sinless life. There had to be a death. There had to be a burial. And there had to be a resurrection for these to understand. Back to scripture, verse 28. And they approached the village where they were going. And he acted as though he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards the evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And it happened that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. Wow, there's going to be a banquet in heaven one day. I hate to say it, but Jesus is going to be serving it. Here he is with them. He's taking the bread and he's blessing it. Well, just like our Lord's Supper. And it happened that when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. And after breaking it, he was giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while we were speaking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? And they stood up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem, and found and gathered together the eleven and those with them who were saying, The Lord has 
really risen and has appeared to Simon. And they were relating their experiences on the road and how he was recognizing by, by them in the breaking of the bread. Jesus now tells us in verse 3, he begins to appear to the disciples. This is a life-changing moment in our apostles, in our disciples. This is the transition from the Old Testament into the New. Now while they were telling these things, he himself stood in the midst and said to them, Peace to you. But being startled and frightened, they were thinking that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do you doubt? Doubts arise in your hearts. See my hands, my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still were not believing because of their joy and were still marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Here's, here's Jesus now with them going to open their minds and teach them Old Testament from the prophets, the Bible, the book that they had before them. They have a complete understanding, the accurate understanding of what's taking place. Then he opened their minds to their understanding the scriptures. The message tonight is, may God open your mind to the scriptures. We can read it all day long and without God's help, we'll just completely be ignorant to it. We can have a lot of facts. But God opened their minds right there. My prayers were speaking about praying for our minds to be opened. You are, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. That's when the, the Holy Spirit, when they were told to go back and stay there. Wow. So, I prepared and I studied all these other things. And when I got to this point, and understood that God's redemptive plan for his history, for our salvation, everything that had taken place, and how he had the holy scriptures that he had to reveal to them to open up their minds. Now let's begin to read what starts taking place with the apostles. Where's this, this transition now from what, what we see? We see... Uh, Men that are lack of faith, lack of understanding. And now what do we see? The Holy Spirit's going to come and fill them? Well, let's begin to read Acts a little bit. Let's, let's just read this a little bit. Oh, let me just kind of skip through it a little bit here. Let's say, uh, I'm just going to start in verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. 
And when they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphys, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all were all with one accord were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the brothers. A crowd of about 120 persons was there together and said, Men, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit before told by the mouth of David. Listen to this. Peter now stands up, says the scripture has to be fulfilled. Peter, a fisherman, all of a sudden turns into this Old Testament scholar. Off the top of his mind, he starts quoting from the Old Testament. This is so important. Scripture had to be fulfilled. For he was counted among us and received his share in this, this ministry, Judas. Now this man acquired a field now, with the price of his unrighteousness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle. And all the intense intestines gushed out. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem so that in their own language that filled was called had them that is field of blood now what i want what i want to do is i want to kind of stop right here while we have our bibles open i don't know about your guys's bible but my bible what happens is the text, the print, the font changes. My font changes from the normal text to verse 20. Your verse should change at this point. And I want us just to look at that right here in the first chapter. And you can see right there, the font changes. Here, here's Peter now turning into an Old Testament scholar right off the top of his head. And then let's go to chapter 2 in the book. It's right on the next page. Let's look at chapter 7, or verse 17. It starts out all Old Testament. Peter starts reciting Old Testament like he's an Old Testament scholar. Then we see it more, moreover in chapter 4. We begin to even see more of it, the Old Testament. And what is he writing? So the Old Testament was, it was for the time right then. See, we're going to get into, we're going to get in some, some, uh, some theology, some eschatology. What does God tell us? Let's just put this in a proper perspective. It was for Peter and the apostles to give witness on what had taken place, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and what had taken place at this time until this time for them to share the word. They just got a newfound understanding of the Old Testament. They weren't going to be preaching eschatology here. They just got the Old Testament. It was just related to them. They were so excited. Their cortisol was raising and they probably couldn't remember what they were going to say until the Holy Spirit filled them and told them what to say. Let's just keep our mind on the things that are being said here. First he says in verse 20, for it is written in the book of Psalms, let, from David, he starts reciting David. Let his res, residence be made desolate, 
and let no one dwell in it, and let another man take his office. That was the electing of Mattis at that time that they drew lots for. But this, this was previously said in David. Peter goes back to say, this was written already, what's taking place right now today. Let's just go over to chapter 2 and see what Peter says at this message. We're going to get into the, the next message will be about the tongues and all this other stuff. But right now, let's just stay focused on, on what's, how the apostles have transitioned from these men of lacking in faith to being on fire for the Lord and reciting Old Testament. God gave them that mind. And then here we go in chapter 7 and verse 17. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. Now, what do you think happened at Pentecost? What do you think was getting ready to take place? Why did did Jesus tell them to go there and wait? He was going to pour out the Holy Spirit on them. And they were going to expel it, expand it to this day. God's still pouring out his Holy Spirit through those who preach his word accurately. The Holy Spirit's being poured out. It's drawing you. It's calling you to God. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour out my Spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. And this is the miracle age. These are these apostles. These have been the miracle age that's taken place that's been designated for these individuals. Even on my male slaves and my female slaves, I will in those days pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Remember how they all got together and and they started to speak in tongues that they, they call tongues, but all it was was languages. In everybody's foreign language, they began to speak the truth of God's word, whether it was the slaves or whoever it was, and the Holy Spirit was being filled in upon them. And I will put wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, very important, that everyone that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, right? That can only happen while we're still living. That, that cannot happen after Jesus comes back. This was written for that time in that time period. Okay, there's no way, it's impossible. Once Jesus comes back for you then to call on the name of the Lord. The Holy Spirit has infilled us the believers, to continue to preach his word. That's the miracle. That's Peter showing the proof. He's, he's an Old Testament scholar. Okay. So now, let's do some application here. Let's, let's look at where we're at. The excitement, the excitement of, of you and me, brother, this excitement of pastors, of being one accord, what does that mean? Well, right now, this month is the Reformation month. Some 500 years ago, a monk by the name of Luther nailed up his theses to the door at the church. And it was a clear, they were not of the same mind. They were not of the same accord. And you notice in the gathering, when the, the, the disciples have come together, they were of the same accord. 
And Jesus gave them the knowledge from the Old Testament. We not only have the benefit from the the knowledge of the Old Testament, but we have the advantage of the knowledge of the New Testament. And we have the Holy Spirit that indwells in us. Wow, that's awesome. So in the apostolic age, they came up with it, the Apostles' Creed. We sang tonight, we said it tonight, and it was the Apostles' Creed. But the first uh, creed in the apostolic age that we believe that come from the apostles, it was having an understanding what we need to do to understand about God, what we need to know about our salvation. They, they came up with this. They called it the Old Roman Creed. You have a copy of it in front of you. The text of the Old Roman Creed is, is as follows, with the last phrase included by miraculous but omitted by Rufius in the brackets. That's, but this is the original part. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, and in Christ Jesus, his only Son, our Lord, who was born from the Holy Spirit, and the Virgin Mary, who under Pontius Pilate was crucified and buried, on the third day rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, whence he will come to judge the living and the dead. And in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Church, the remission of sins, the resurrection of the flesh. Parentheses, life everlasting. Now, there... Just from the bottom, it says the Holy Church. Later, it got changed into the, the, the Holy Catholic Church. Now, I'm okay with the word Catholic. That's just a united in one believers, in one church, in one body of the Christ is Catholic. But I think so oftentimes that we would, we would misread that and think it's Rome, Roman Catholicism. No, it is not. So I, li- I, I, I like this one here because it says the Holy Church. What is that? That is the body of Christ, the body of believers. It's not a religion. It's God himself through his spirit. So I, 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 just, I just think of that. And then, But the Reformation. Let's get to the Reformation now. Do you know why you're in a Protestant church tonight? Do you know why you're a protester? If you're in a Catholic church, do you know why you're in a Catholic church? Do you know what you believe? Do you know what you profess? Was it just the closest church on on the corner? You decided one day, well, maybe I'll go to church. Look, that that sign says the Church of Christ. And they're they're affirming. Maybe I'll go there. Or maybe I'll go there. Then I just sit in this pew and I just listen to this garble that goes on. And I never open up my Bible. Or if I do, I'm just kind of staring at it, thinking about what's for lunch, got to mow the grass. Why do you believe what you believe? Are we in one accord? The Holy Church, are we in one accord? Well, there was a clear dis- discrepancy. And they came, they came up, out of that came the five solas on what we believe as Protestants. Everybody has a copy of that, and with that copy, you also have the scriptures to back it up. Because it's not what John says today, it's what does God say. And if you say, but, and you want to add, add to this, you're, saying, you're not saying to John. You're saying, forget everything that you just said, but listen to my point, because it's more important. You're saying that to God. You're looking at God saying, uh, just forget about what you said, God. This, this is what I believe. This is what I was told. That's who you're saying it to. I'm just, I'm just a messenger here today. I'm just interpreting this, and I'm using Scripture to back up Scripture. 
And we're going to get down to the point that the, the Council of Trent, where somebody's an anathema, accursed, condemned to hell. And it's either, it's either going to be my view or their view. And I stand here today in a solid conviction of my view that it is proper and accurate. I stand on the God's words and I pray with reverence and awe to get this right as every pastor, every minister who proclaims to be in the Holy Church should do. And there are certain foundations, issues, certain foundations that we must believe in our hearts. And pray for God to open your minds up. Pray for God to open the minds up. Pray for God to give us a heart to know, eyes to see and ears to hear. Sola fide, scripture alone, was one of the first solas. Romans, where does that come from? Romans 15.4 For whatever was written in former days was written for instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scripture we might have hope. Scripture alone. No, nothing else. Scripture alone, sola fide. Second Timothy says, verse 2.16 but avoid irrelevant babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Irrelevant babble. That's philosophy. That's man seeking his own wisdom and his own knowledge because his IQ is so high and he has to come up with all these ways and these. That is babble. If it is not through the focus, through the lens of God's eyes, it is babble. Start with God. Make your case. We do that because it's sola fide, Scripture alone. Second Timothy, also 3.16. Why was Scripture given to us? All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. All Scripture has been given to, to us for that. And there we run into a paradox. This is, this is God-breathed. This book is God-breathed. Was, was it written by a man, John? Yes, it was written by a man. But it was God-breathed. Through that man's hand, the Holy Spirit directed these writings. Through this right now, we have this book before us that is without error. So why would we need to go to any other thing, anything else, any other study or all this other stuff that we look to when we, we have the book right in our hand? And I'm speaking about the original transcripts. I understand that there, there's, some, there's some books out there that I wouldn't even call a Bible. But that's another message for another day. So we have sola fide, Scripture alone. Now we have sola, I'm sorry, sola fide, Scripture alone. Faith alone. Sola Scriptura. I'm sorry, I, I misspelled that. It's sola Scriptura. <laughs> It's scripture alone. Now it's sola fide. Okay? Faith alone. Where do we find this? In Ephesians. Ephesians uh, chapter 2, 8 to 10. By grace you've been saved through faith, and that this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are heirs of his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Faith alone. Sola fide. This is not of our own doing, it says right here. It's a gift from God. It's sola gratia. Grace alone. 
We are saved by grace alone. Now, sola fide and, and sola grata, uh, faith alone, grace alone, we're going we're gonna to move into our, our dispute with Rome. And when I say Rome, that's a Roman Catholic church that Luther had split from, that we split from them. And these are two topics. They're, they're almost uh, synonymous together. Uh, faith alone, uh, grace alone. It both comes from God alone. Then we have sola Christus. Christ alone, Romans 8, 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Hebrews seven twenty three and 24. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Sola Christus, Christ alone. Sola the Gloria, to the glory of God alone. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whether you, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And me and my brother, he pointed out to me, even when you're putting on a roof, every breath you take, everything you do, every cake you bake, every job that you go to, it's for the glory of God. Every breath we take is to the glory of God. Sola di Gloria. So there are the five solas. That's what we believe as Protestants. The next time someone asks you, what do you believe as a Protestant? You have your list there, what you believe. I encourage you to read them scriptures, to meditate on it, and to ask God to open your eyes up further, open your heart up further. He, he will. But he tells us in the book of James, that if, we, if we lack wisdom, just to pray God for wisdom, and he'll give us more wisdom. He'll give us more wisdom than we can handle. And that's not wisdom to buy the right lottery ticket. That's wisdom to understand God's word. So, Rome now. How, how are we going to get into this, right? So, okay, well, here's the big divide. Let's, I, I hope I can get this right. God, I need your help with this one. So, the word justification. How does a sinner find salvation? First, it's through God and Christ alone. But here's what Rome begins to say. So, Justification. Now, there's an interpretation of the word justification that comes from Latin that I can see that Rome used this interpretation, which you would interpret it from the Latin into the Vulgate Bible, and justification, it would be to make righteous. So justification, it would be to make someone righteous. So what happens here then? Well, they have to be made righteous of some sort before God can look at them and then give them the, their righteousness and their justification. Okay, they, to, to declare now, the Protestants, we believe the interpretation from the Greek, the word, to declare righteous, which would be an imputation. Okay, so Rome's point of view is there has to be sanctification, then justification. The Protestant's view is justification, sanctification, glorified. Okay, very clear. 
They've interpreted that word. I believe they've interpreted it wrongly. Now, oftentimes people will say, well, the reason I'm, I don't believe in Catholic because they, they believe in works. And uh, we, we believe in faith. And, and uh, they say you got to go to the priest and tell your sins. And look, listen, that's wrong. Rome believes in justification. Rome believes in faith. Rome believes in these things. But see what happens, the, the five solas, is that we be, they begin to add things to it. They begin to add to this. Faith alone. They begin to add works to it. Sola grata, gratia. It's by merit. They, they, it's not grace alone. They add merit to it. Sola Christus. It's not Christ alone. It's going to rely on some of your own effort. It's going to take some of your doing and your work. That's, that's not what the Scripture tells us. So there's a, there's a clear misinterpretation of the word justification. And so how do they say what has to happen here? Well, what has to happen now is step one. It's the baptism. So it's a seridolo, uh, the sacraments, the first sacrament, which, which has to happen for you to obtain some justification, for God can now look at you righteous uh, for your salvation. What has to happen? Well, first, what has to happen is you have to be baptized as, as a baby. Step one. Through the working of the work. Through the working of the work. So now already it's required for the work of the baptism to give you the justification, enough justification, for God now to begin to start looking at you as righteous. So grace at this point is infused, or it's poured into you. The soul at the baptism must, must ascend. Now the soul at baptism must ascend, because, you know, they're, they're making righteous. They did a works type to do it, but they're saying it comes from God. They're, they're going to deny that and say, oh, no, this, this comes from God. But you've been baptized. And you're in a state of justification now. Thank goodness. We're going to heaven. You're a baby. You're baptized. You're going to heaven. Wow. Awesome. Oh, uh-oh. Then we get older. We commit a venial sin and a mortal sin. Oh, boy. Oh, all is not lost. Don't, I don't want you to panic. Don't get worried now. Rome has an answer for this. We're going to get you to the second plank here in a second. So what has to happen then? You, you just lost your... Uh, you, you're, you're, you, you, so now you've committed this mortal sin. It's uh, a threat of damnation that you're going to go to. But all is not lost. What happens when a person sins? All is not lost. Restored. We have the penance. The second plank of justification. Who made, you know, the person made shipwreck of his first one. So now, you know, we're going we're gonna to repent. The second sacrament. Penance. The second plank. So now... Here's how this works. First off, we're a little bit unclear between mortal sin and, and venial sin. And by the way, remember we started off that I, I don't think God made his word so confusing for people to struggle with it. It should not be a struggle. It, it shouldn't take someone with an IQ of, off the charts to interpret it to you what you need to understand. But this is what they'll begin to do. They'll, they'll start talking this babble here is what, what happens. This is to me is babble. But we're going we're gonna to just follow along with it. So strict merit, there's strict merit, condi merit, and congruous merit. Now strict merit is simply that it's a merit that's so deserving that God, it's owed to you. If you do this merit, God cannot refuse you. 
the Pope has some stored up in the treasure chest for those who want to get a little extra from Mary and some of the saints that says, you know, the strict merit. Now, there's the condi merit. Now, the condi merit is, it kind of goes like this. Uh, you, you work a job, you work 40 hours, and you're entitled to get paid. You, you did something of penance, and you're required to get paid to get restored to your justification, to get stored back into you. And so God's kind of entitled to pay you, right? Because he's obligated to. Now, there's congruent merit. Now, congruent merit would simply be that uh, your daughter cleaned her room today and you brought her out for ice cream. Now, you, you didn't have to bring her out to ice cream, but you brought her out to ice cream because she did a good job. So, these are, the, these are the different forms of merit that you can regain your justification. Remember, we believe it's an imputation imputed to Christ. It's a double imputation. Not only... Is Christ's righteousness been imputed to us, but our sins and our depravity has been imputed to Christ, and that's when Christ died on the cross for all those who will believe. Our sins were imputed to him. When God looks at us, he looks at Christ. We've been imputed to us our justification, our faith by grace we've been saved, not by our own works, for no man can boast. It's as clear as day. Imputation. Imputed to Christ. And by the way, in the words of John Calvin, all sin is mortal sin. All sin deserves to go to hell. There, there, there is no venial or mortal. Listen, a sin, one dot, one, one iota, one peccadillo, you deserve to go to hell. That's why we can't do it by works with it, with works, we can't do it. We would still come up short. So, we're going to pass through the, that part of it a little bit, because I know time's an issue. What, we, what must I do to be saved? Sola fide, faith alone, sola scriptura, scripture alone. The unity of the faith with them is so essential. The unity of our faith is so essential. The understanding of what we believe and why believe it, why we believe it is so important. And today I make a cry. I make a cry all the way to the room. I make a cry to my brothers. I have brothers that, that I dearly love that, that are they're in Catholicism. We eat together. I, I, they're lifelong friends of mine. And I, I believe that... Uh, that some of these people do believe the way I believe, that they don't even understand the system that they're in. I believe the system is flawed, and they haven't looked into it deep enough. And, and I pray that they could look into it deep enough uh, to, to see uh, God's point, to see what God's trying to tell you. Uh, that, that's what I, I just truly pray for. The, uh, and, and why do I say that? Well, the Council of Trent, the sixth session, there's two parts. One of it was asked, well, what is saving faith? This was necessary. And uh, so they said at uh, the Council of Trent that if we don't believe the way I was just explaining to you, and I, and I probably didn't get that 100% accurate, and I'm, I'm sorry, it, it's just a real struggle for me to follow a false religion and try to learn it when I spend most of my time on, on learning 
God's true word from sola scriptura, from his word. So if, if I misspoke something, uh, we would love, Logan would love to debate you on this issue. He's available anytime, and uh, we, we will debate you on this uh, with, with love. So you just reach out to me and let me know. Uh, but see, the, the real problem here is these people that I love, and even in other uh, religions that have misinterpreted scripture, that, uh, well, they don't say the other scripture, the other one, but Rome specifically, they haven't recanted from the, the Council of Trent, the sixth session that says we're anathema. We are to be accursed, that we're not a part of their church. They're saying that I'm going to go to hell. Uh, if you believe in the Protestant Reformation, you're going to go to hell. They've never recanted from that. So that's very strong language. And I would just refer you to the book of Galatians that Paul says, you know, who, who has bewitched you, you silly Galatians? I've came, I've shared the word. The original apostles, the original word that was spoke, that was expounded upon was the original word and was to be believed in its accurate, unadulterated form. And then you have a religion taken and they, they manipulate it and they turn it. And Paul says to them, let them be anathema. Let them be accursed. He says it a couple times. So whoever changes the gospel, whoever changes this message, let them be accursed. Let them be anathema. On this day, you decide. You read your word. You pray to God to have them open your, open your eyes and open your heart to know. Your eternal salvation is dependent upon it. Listen, faith to Rome, faith is not sufficient condition. You commit a mortal sin, you retain your faith, but you lose your justification, and you have to begin to work to get that back. It's faith. Sola fida. Faith alone. It's faith by grace we've been saved, and this was the crux of the whole, the whole argument. That's still going on to this day. This is Reformation Month. So, with all that being said, I know it was quite a bit. Uh, I'm going to end up closing in a, in a, in a prayer. Out of Scripture, again. Uh, I've I just been so, uh, so much in, into God's Word. It, it just does so much for me. I'm just so excited for so the knowledge, for God opening my eyes up. For a person that struggles so much with reading, comprehension, memory, uh, for God to open open my eyes and my heart to have an understanding, and uh, and just so excited to have that come to that revelation and understanding of the apostles. What gave them the the zeal, the excitement, uh, the enthusiasm? To all, all of them except John, to go on and be martyrs for the faith without fear, faithless warriors in this fallen time. It said in our, in our reading tonight that earlier in, the, in Acts, it said that Jesus, they, they were asking, remember the rabbit hole I wanted to chase? I'm going to chase it right now. Remember they were, were going to want to divide up which territory was going to be theirs? And here, we find in Acts, what, what do they ask? When, uh, when are we going to get the, the kingdom of Jerusalem back? 
<laughs> you know? <laughs> He's already died, the resurrection, come back, and they're asking him, what am I going to get? You know? And he says, all authorities, the authority comes from the Father above. The authority comes from him to decide when he will do that. And that same wording, and that same terminology is one of the last things that he said to us, the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples to the end of the earth, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's right now we are his agents to go and proclaim the truth, the gospel, the good news to the end of the ages, to the end of the earth, to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He said that John baptized with the water, but I'm going to send the Spirit to you. You're going to be filled with the Spirit, and you are to go and do this to the end of time. And what happens at the end of time when Jesus is going to come back? He's going to defeat the last enemy. He's not going to make everybody at that time have to do all this. He's going to defeat the last enemy. What is the last enemy? The last enemy is death. That's when we're going to get a glorified body because we will live eternal with our God and Father in Jesus for the banquet. And what a glorious day it's going to be. So I just encourage all of you to get into the Word. Have the incitement. Let the, the Word of God just fill in you. And let us just close in this word of prayer from the book of Ephesians. First chapter. Chapter, verse 17. Our Father and our God, with all your mercy, all your grace, all your love. Father, we just thank you for this time that we could gather tonight. I pray for those in our audience and uh, online that, that, your, that your word may have touched their heart. I, I pray that you could open their hearts, God, and give them eyes to see, ears to hear, Father. The harvest is ripe, the laborers are few. Please, Lord. Verse 17. That the God of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the full knowledge of him, so that you, the eyes of your heart having been enlightened, will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of the might of his strength, which he worked in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen.